Um, are we going to start now? We have to talk about Sonic first. Sonic is actually Marco, but he was halfway through morphing into a hedgehog before his time ran out, so that's why he looks like that permanently. Okay. This is an Animorphs book club. We're going to read the Animorphs books. We're going to talk about the Animorphs books. I'm here with all my writs. Never read the Animorphs books. Some of them read like a few sentences of them or something. Some of them like, you know, saw the, everyone saw the covers in the library at school. But I've, I've read all of them, all 64 of them. We're going to read as many as we can stand. And then we're going to talk about them. I'm War Prince. Be natural. Uh, I'm Batter. Beep. Oh, oh, oh oops. I'm, I'm not supposed to say my last name. Oh, sorry about that, guys. <laughs> Next. It's your turn. You're always third. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm Kurger Bing. I like um, uh, Burger King. <laughs> I'm Mustard. I just finished reading this book like an hour ago. I'm Stir. Uh... Hey, so so if you're wondering why uh, Kurger Bing sounds kind of strange, it's because, uh, you know, between, between the when we're recording the last podcast and this one, he went through puberty. And now he sounds like that. Yeah. The first person to go will have to describe the book like kind of like a approximately one sentence per chapter basis. So not like really, really detailed, but like detailed enough that you cover all the plot. And then after that, we'll take take turns like giving our impressions of the book and we could go from there. Okay, I read this book like five days ago, so I volunteered to not be the first person. I want Stir to be the first person. Kurgerbring was too busy having his puberty that he didn't really focus on the book, I feel. Now, hang on. I don't know if Stur did this, but I did type out like a like a fifteen sentence summary of the plot. I I typed out a, like a one sentence summary of each chapter. I didn't do that. I typed out a, a seventeen syllable summary of every chapter, split across three lines with five, seven, and five syllables respectively. So I just wrote a twenty something haiku. Maybe I should just do this. So the first thing I wanted to say before I start describing the book. Whoops. Last week we were talking about like how there was that line about Jake's mom being a writer and therefore she hates tele. Therefore she hates television. And then someone was like, I wonder if that's self insert. And Catherine Applegate's actual son is named Jake, so I'm pretty sure she's a self insert. She self inserted herself into this book as the writer mom who hates TV and is like, Jake, you need to stop watching all that TV. Or the axe murders are gonna come get you. Read my books instead. The the first book I had a lot to say about because it, it had a lot of silly parts, but uh, this book was really good. Yeah, I thought this book. I was like really surprised with this book. Like I was like, this is not silly. This is like actually like intense and crazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At least in the first half, I thought that was kind of melodramatic and kind of dumb, actually. Okay, so uh, onto the plot. So then the first chapter, they're flying around and they're having fun. We. That's about it. So then, uh, then these rednecks start shooting at them, and they're like the most hilarious, like freaking Southern American um, redneck stereotype ever. Like literally, when Rachel, so Rachel's a bird, Rachel's an eagle, and she decides to fly down and just grab their gun. And this is not a one sentence summary of each chapter. Oh yeah, you're right. Wow, I'm, I'm not even following my own my own rules. All right, all right. Then they get shot at by these stupid redneck villains. Uh, I don't really have much of an opinion about this part. Uh, the Animorphs... So then the Animorphs plan to use Melissa to find a new way into the Yerk pool because Melissa is Rachel's friend and she's been, like, she's the daughter of Chapman, who they know is a Yerk. So they figure Melissa's a controller, especially because she's been acting weird recently. So they decide, we can get Rachel to, like, try and get buddy-buddy with Melissa so that Melissa might 
give away something about the York pool. The entrance to the York pool they found in the last book has been blocked off. Yes, yes, yes. Then she, Rachel goes to gymnastics and uh, Melissa's all depressed. And then um, so, so, so then she tries to connect with Melissa, but it doesn't really work because Melissa's too depressed. And then a rapist attacks Rachel, but Rachel turns into an elephant and scares him away. And that was pretty silly. Uh, and this guy just runs away, I guess. Then Chapman, the Yerk, drives her home and with Melissa in the car. And she doesn't really talk to Melissa because Melissa's still all depressed. So she's all scared of, of Chapman, but it turns out fine. Uh, and then she gets back to the Animorphs and they're like, Rachel, you shouldn't have turned into an elephant in broad daylight, you idiot. And Rachel's like, okay, the end. So uh, chapter six, uh, the gang try to catch a cat. They are really, really bad at catching a normal ass cat. So then they were like, let's let's bait the cat and have the cat come out and we'll lure the cat out somehow. So then they get Tobias to go and get a shrew. But for some reason, they're like, no, that's not. A we have to have Rachel turn into the shrew and we're going to lure it with her instead of just using the shrew they have right there. So that's kind of odd. But anyway, they get they get the shrew. They get the, the cat. Rachel it's acquires the, uh, him. Cat. Yeah, the principal's cat. Yes. It's and then they go home. Rachel's a nightmare about dreams. Melissa's still sad. Then Rachel goes into uh, Chapman's house as a cat, and she uh, she witnesses him making a making a Zoom call with Visitor Three, and Visitor Three reveals that he wants the End of Life Bandits killed really soon. But then Visitor Three says he sees the cat in there, and he says kill it because it might be an Andalite. And uh, Chapman's like, no, that'll make me look bad, and everyone will think I'm bad. So he agrees not to let that happen. And Rachel barely makes it out. So then there's this really sad scene with Melissa, like being super, super depressed and crying because she thinks her parents don't love her anymore because they don't act like they love her. And I thought that was sad. And I was like, man, this book is pretty well written. Because they both uh, have Yorks inside them. And Yorks cannot love, apparently. Yorks can love, I bet. I was just sort of thinking it's like Chapman's a really high-ranking guy. Like, I think, if, I think anybody who's as high-ranking as Chapman would normally just be living in a house that's all controllers. But they specifically can't have her be a controller because the parents like made a deal with Visitor Three to not have her be the controller in exchange for them, the parents not being like terrible hosts. So like I could see them being like annoyed with her a lot. Like, oh my god, this stupid human's hanging around and we can't talk about our evil plans all the time, like everybody else. So anyway, uh then Rachel goes back to the house and there's this big plan and there's this, this, this they want to find out more about Visitor Three. Then Jake is tagging along. He's a flea on Rachel's back. And uh, then they go to the construction site. Uh, and then Chapman, like... Well, hang on, hang on. They, they don't just go to the construction site. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't... I feel like I'm describing... I feel like I'm using too much detail here. So, anyway, they go to the construction site. And there's a big fighty fight, fight, fight. The end. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. The, the Visitor 3 sees that this cat is in the secret room again. And he's like, oh, it must be... Uh, what he believes is an Andalite, because uh, uh, Visitor Three believes that all the the, the animals are Andalites. Um, so then they put it in a little cat box and carry it to the construction fight site. Fight. There's a fight at the site. At the site, there's a fight. And then the rest of the gang shows up and saves everyone, and they run away. And then uh, there's this very touching moment where uh, Rachel gives. Uh, Oh well, wow! We didn't even explain the whole stuff with uh, Chapman. They found they uh, Rachel like sees firsthand like Chapman like uh, saying why he is willingly being a Yurik, and then she gives 
Melissa a nice note saying, hey, daddy loves you. And then the book ends. Yeah. So what is everyone's favorite part of this book? I like I liked everything except the uh, final fight scene, which I thought was boring. What? I thought it was well written and very tense. It was like, oh my gosh, they're not going to turn back into humans. Exactly. I was like, and I was also like, yeah, I know Rachel's not going to freaking die because she's on like eight more covers, but like I was still somehow tense and like, I was like, wow, you know, you could tell how scared they were. I could tell how scared she was when she didn't want to eat maggots. I could tell how scared she was when Visor 3 was intimidating her. But then when the fight started, I was like, okay, this is lame. It's just like silly sci-fi laser beams and big monsters. No, it's not. Listen, Jake. Tur- okay, all that happens is that Jake. It's not even that. Like, it's not even very climactic, really, in a in a cinematic sense. It's just all that happens is that Jake like escapes from the cage as a flea, and then he like turns into a tiger, and then he attacks Visor Three for like five seconds, and then he Visor Three like I don't know. I think his the Hork or something like get him off, and then they all just run away, and then the rest of it's just Rachel as a cat running through the construction site. While Visor Three like tries to get her, and that's it. Like that's not it's not it's not like a big giant sci-fi fight. To me, it seemed like they just needed to have the book finish, but didn't know how. So like, okay, whatever, they run away. But everything else, I loved. I just felt like I, I I thought it was a very realistic progression because I thought it was like it was like there's a consequence to learning this stuff that they want to learn. It's like they almost got killed or captured. It's like they. And they and they and now they have to like make a mad dash out of there, and they barely survive. And I like what Rachel says at the end there, but she says like, "I, let me find it. I collapsed on the ground. I had escaped. I had survived. I knew I should have been glad, but all I felt was tired." That was good, but the fight itself was bad. Yeah, and I just don't like fight scenes. Yeah, I had the same complaint with the uh, second Avengers movie that the fighting was just bland to me. Well, that's how I feel about basically every superhero movie. But they're, they're, like, not even fighting. They're, like, running and chasing each other. And then, like, Visser 3 turns into this, like, giant rock monster, and he's, like, destroying the construction site, and it's it's freaky, yeah. That doesn't freak me out. I, I, like, I like that the hero is in a weak position, and that she can't really do anything to fight him. All she can do is run away. Well, see, that's why I like the other part better, when she, like, couldn't run away, when she, she was, like, trying to hide and being stealthy and stuff. To, to me, the running away seemed cheap, almost. Well, what'd you expect her to do? Freaking die? Yeah, yeah, I know. She's not going to turn into an elephant and fight like a 20-foot-tall alien rock monster. Why is turning into it's a hog? happening. And... These villains are actually freaking good. It just seemed rushed to me. What did you want to happen? That's my question. Yeah. It didn't seem rushed. That's all. Hey, let's go back to the beginning. So uh, this book yeah. was written by Rachel. As soon as I read the first sentence of this book, I was very surprised because I assumed they would all be written by Jake. Huh. That's like a defining feature of Animorphs is that they're ri- they, they, they alternate the narrators. Well, that's not a defining feature of the first book. I assume going in that, okay, Jake is like the uh, like scrappy boy in the series. You know, he's going to be the, the, the face of Animorphs. It's why, you know, he's like Bart Simpson or whatever, you know, protagonist kind of guy. It's what is Bart, Bart Simpson? Protagonist of the Simpsons. Anyway, I just assume that since like Cassie and Rachel were such minor characters, Jake would always be in the spotlight. I thought Rachel was very well written in this book. Like she was barely written in the last book. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I one thing I noticed about this book was that actually Jake was better written because we get to see what Rachel's opinion of Jake is instead of just how he sees himself, which is bland and like kind of what you would expect, like narrator. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I'm very excited to see the future narrators. I wonder if they're going to have any that aren't like the main five. Like, oh, my name is Mr. Three. I can't tell you my last name, but. Because <laughs> I don't have one. Because it's just Mr. Three. No, his first name is Visser and his last name is Three. <laughs> My name is Visser. I can't tell you my last name, but I'm an Andalite controller on Earth, and... <laughs> I can't tell you where my Yurk pool is, but it might even be your Yurk pool. <laughs> I want a chapter that's written from Tobias. My Yurk pool might be you. right underneath your middle school. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're gonna have Tobias books as, like, a hawk. That, that'd be interesting. The next book is uh, Tobias. What? Oh, this is Oh, this is gonna be cool. I thought it was really cool how this book like didn't force you to read the first book. Like it's retold the same information, but it was from another person's point of view, and it didn't ever seem like boring. Um, I thought that was kind of a fault of that book because in the first part of the book, it really just treads the same ground as the first book did, and I found myself getting really bored just watching Rachel talk about the same things that Jake did, and also like Rachel pretending like everything she was saying is going to be a surprise. Especially with when she's talking about Tobias. I'm like, dude, I already read the first book. I know that he's a hawk, okay? You don't have to well, pretend like you're telling me this for the first time. All right, I'm in the same boat with I don't like the recap. Because, but like, of course, I get, I get it. They have to do that because it's like these, they're published monthly and they're just supposed to sell to like little kids who want to pick up anyone at all at any time. But um, I did like when they said Tobias will always be a hawk. Like, we all, we're not, we're at all, we're assumed they're human forms except Tobias. I thought I liked that because it was like, that's, you know, it's real. Like, in the in the last book, it was like, well, he's been a hawk for a day. Now he's been a hawk for a week. And it's like, he's not, he's not turning back. And like, you know, it's just like another day in the Animorphs' lives where they're turning back from birds and Tobias isn't. And I liked how they brought that up. I actually really like that sentence on its own, but I don't like how it's prefaced with like eight other sentences that talk about how Tobias is a hawk. Mm. Tobias had not. Tobias was still a hawk. Tobias had been trapped. Tobias, blah, 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 blah. He had stayed more than four hours. He, we, Tobias was still a hawk. Tobias will always be a hawk. Like, that just seems very repetitive to me. But if she had just, like, not said anything about it and then just suddenly, like, pushed that sentence out there, I think it would have made a bigger impact on me. I think the reason I liked it is because it was, it's, it's Rachel's response to Tobias being a hawk for a week. When I, I feel like it's not just, like, uh, retelling the plot this is like rachel and how she responded to tobias is a hawk, has been a hawk for a week wow like and it's 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 told in a different way than in the first book well yeah because now we have the perspective of having more time yeah and from a different person i think the idea of that is cool but the execution just got on my nerves i don't know i enjoyed rachel's character in this book like i feel like like again i'm like i feel like they she just really had a character here yeah, actually, I liked Rachel in this one. She was written a lot better than Jake was in the first book, in my opinion. I still think Tobias is the best written character, but she, Rachel's a second now for me. All right, well. I didn't like Tobias that much until he became a heart. You didn't like him before that? I liked Tobias. I, he, was, he was okay, I guess, as a side character, but now he's great. Now he's, like, the best one. I Actually, I wonder if Applegate just, like, really wanted to have a character who is just, like, an animal, and that's why she, like wrote Tobias as turning into a hawk very early in the series so that she could just have one person who's just like an animal but they can always talk to them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Before he was kind of just like a third wheel where like Marco and Jake were like best friends and then there was like the two girls and then Tobias mm-hmm. was just like this other guy who they weren't really great super great friends with. And now that he's a hawk he like has a more interesting character. But yeah, now they have a reason to actually care about him and like write yeah. stuff with him. 
So can we talk about the rednecks now that I was going to talk about, but then I, I, but then I realized that I was getting into too much detail. I really like the dialogue they wrote for them. Like, that bird has your gun! Che-. Wait, I can't do that accent. Can you do a redneck accent? That bird has a gun! Yeah, yes, that's it! Okay, here, Kurgerbring, read this out loud. That bird has your gun, Chester! And that other one stole my beer! <laughs> this is, I like his name is Chester. Yeah. That ain't right! It ain't right that no bird should take my rifle like that! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's what happens. Uh, so these, like, American red hat wearing dudes... They're, they're sitting in the back of a pickup truck shooting at birds illegally. Yeah, and then and then and then and then a freaking American bald eagle comes down and takes away this guy's Second Amendment right and tosses it into the ocean, and that's just epic. Oh, I love the wording of that. I mean, I didn't really like the scene at all when I read it. It's a good silly scene. Before that, it was it was all like, oh, we're we're so we're having so much trouble, and we got to f- defeat the Yurks, and oh, we we're taking a break right now, and then it's like. The cue banjo music. Oh, let's let's just troll these. <laughs> I don't know. There's a tone problem there. Uh, hey, isn't throwing a gun into the ocean like bad for the environment? Uh, probably not as bad as shooting that gun into wildlife. So I think I, I I'm giving it a pass. Okay. Yeah, and the other bird uh threw the beer in the driver's can, so it's it's yin and yang, you know. I thought the message in this chapter was pretty heavy-handed, actually. It's like, there's no nuance here. It's just like, pollution, bad. Killing birds, bad. Being a redneck, bad. Talking with a southern accent, bad. Bad grammar, bad. Chester, bad. Oh, I didn't get that at all. These characters are not given any sympathy at all. It's just like, oh, it's, they're just like straw men. I, I grew up surrounded by a lot of rednecks, and I respect them, and it, uh, K.A. Applegate doesn't. When Marco stole that dude's beer, I was, like, expecting him to start drinking it as a bird. Because <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a thing Marco would do. Yeah. Uh, there's, this, there's a line, like, a few pages later where Marco is talking about amazing bird eyesight. And he says, look, Jake, how many times have you been walking around the mall or whatever? And you'll see a girl who seems good looking from far off. But when oh, you get no, closer, it turns out she's a skank. Oh, I hated that line. I think they changed it in the reprint to, like... She's an ugly person, or something like that. After a few sentences, I interpreted that line as like, uh, Kay Applegate or whatever her name is, like, saying like, "Yeah, this is because like, uh, Rachel like calls him out on it. Like, uh, you didn't just say what I thought you said, did you? Uh, yeah. I feel like him saying I wasn't being sexist. Uh, I, I, I interpreted that as like, no, everyone knows he's being sexist, and he's just saying it's like when someone says, "Listen, I'm not racist, but no, no." Exactly, I I know, but th- it just makes me not like the character of Marco. Yeah, I understand that. I, I, I didn't think it was bad like writing. I think Marco at the moment is supposed to be the least likable character. I have a feeling that Marco just knew it would upset her, so he said it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like this. I had a sentence. It's just that the boy loves to provoke people. Yeah. Uh, one thing I noticed is a uh, uh, last episode. Batter mentioned how. It was annoying that Marco was like not sure about joining the Animorphs because it was just like, was like, oh, you know, he's going to join. And I, I thought it was cool that the author continued that into this book where Marco was like, yeah, I'm still not sure if I want to keep doing this. So that, that made Marco's reluctance in the first book seem like, okay, it wasn't just like for plot. It's like, okay, he, he, he still doesn't care about 
watch it, for doing this. It makes for a nice bit at the end where Rachel says, next time we'll... Next time, Marco cried out in mock horror. There will be a next time, Tobias said. There will be a next time until the end of Light's Return. And that's the end of the book. Oh, yeah. I love that line. That was a good ending. I really liked how this book made it personal because it's like the whole point of this. I mean, like it was in the last book. They were like, yeah, the Irks could be anybody, you know, and Jay kind of like has his brother. But there wasn't really much. It wasn't that wasn't really explored that much, um, at, at least compared to this book, where it's like Rachel's best friend is like really, really, really depressed. But not because she's a controller, it's because she's being profoundly impacted by people in her family being controllers. And it makes Rachel really, really mad. I really liked the relationship between Melissa and Rachel. Yeah. I like that conflict where they were like, at, the, at one point in the book, like the Animorphs were all working together with Chapman and Chapman's Yerk to try and keep Melissa out of the know. Because like, the, if, if Melissa found out that her dad, like something weird was going on, then she would have to be made into a controller and Chapman didn't want that because he loves her. Oh yeah. The part where they're, where he's, he's got the cat and then they're like, Oh no, we got to get the cat. So that, that yeah. part was so sad. I was, that part made me like, wow, that is so sad. Where Melissa says, where, where, where Melissa's like calling out to Chapman, like get what, why are you like, she's crying and she's like, why are you taking fluffer away? And because Chapman has Rachel, who's disgust, who's morphed as fluffer in a cat cage and he's going to take her to visit three to kill her or something. And, Melissa's like, Daddy, why are you taking away the cat? And she's like crying. And then Chapman's just running away and he's not answering her at all because he doesn't want to talk to her. And then, so then they get Tobias to like chase the real cat back to Melissa. And then she's like, what? And then uh, there's this part where Chapman says, no, sweetheart, this isn't Fluffer at all. It's just some other cat that sneaked into the basement. He's different. I'm taking him to the shelter so his owners can pick him up. But why didn't you just tell me that? Melissa said. Chapman looked confused. I, I didn't notice you. Melissa stepped back like she'd been slapped. But Daddy, I was crying. Sorry, Chap Chapman shrugged. He shoved the cage into the back seat. We drove off. Yeah, that was a great scene. I was actually confused on like where it was gonna go. I'm like, what? What? How would bringing real Fluffer back help? But then, but then like Applegate was she? She did a good job. She really slid through that one. It was like the Chat Chapman and his Yerk and and the Animorphs were all working together on that one. It's like they all had a, for just a small moment of time, they all had kind of a common interest there. Yeah. I also like that, uh, like, part of their, like, you know, just this important part of their mission ends up involving having Tobias chase a cat back into Melissa's house, which is pretty silly on its own, but it actually made sense in context. I was thinking about the scene later, uh, and I was thinking, you know, Chapman could have said, Oh, sorry. Uh, this cat just scratched the heck out of my hand. I was having trouble focusing. I'm covered in blood. Sorry about that. But he just said, I don't know. He's an alien. He doesn't know how to have human thoughts. Can we talk about the part where Rachel's like, I was in Chapman's, where Rachel's in Chapman's house. And then she's like, Chapman was just sitting there on the couch, not watching TV, not reading a newspaper or not anything. And I'm like, what is he doing? Do Yorks just sit there and do nothing? Because that's stupid. I guess so. He's, he's like meditating. He's relaxing. Well, maybe the yerk inside the brain is like watching TV inside his brain. Like he has a little TV. <laughs> a little setup. <laughs> this is a little surround sound system. I liked the part where they rebelled uh, and like the effects of that, which was and and how the hosts were the yerks were like they. Re I, I like the way they wrote the yerks being really stressed about uh, their hosts rebelling. Yeah, like they're dangerous, but they're not like gods. They're not all powerful. They're still yeah, and they're. They just kind of seem like normal. I mean, they, not normal, but they just kind of seem like people who are like, man, this, you know, this thing's about to make my job and life a lot harder. And I hate that. 
something okay just miscellaneous thing when we're talking about the recap i had this note here where part of the recap is rachel says that night at the construction site visitor three morphed into some creature from a far-off planet a huge horrible monster then he took the andalite and you know what i really don't want to talk about that you'll have to ask jake it just made me think of visitor three doing something really silly or inappropriate and it's somehow being jake's fault like <laughs> like jake oh no no i like <laughs> It was. It made a reference to Jake being the narrator in the other book. Oh, uh, yeah, but I can't just l- listen. <laughs> I'm just thinking of like Jake somehow. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it would be, but Jake was like, um, like you know. Okay, so so if it's, so, Mister Three picks up Elfangor, and then he, Jake is having a conversation with Marco, and Jake is saying like, "Oh man, have you heard about Vor?" And then Wizard Three's like, "That's a good idea." And then he bores him, and he's and he moans. It's Jake's fault. Wait, I, I think I like zoned out. What, what? What? You'll have to listen to it later. You'll have to ask Jake. Yeah, you'll have to ask Jake. It's Jake's fault. I was hearing about like Jake and the whole direct pad, and then this happened. What? Ha- what did I miss? How did I miss? Well, you know, that's what you get for zoning out. I like that they keep making fun of the name Animorphs. Like every time they they call themselves that, they're like, "Man, that's a dumb name." I love that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I, I'm not really used to them calling themselves Animorphs because for like the past like month, Animorphs has just been a book series that I've never read. Mm-hmm. I don't know it as a book series. Yeah, it's weird seeing it in universe. Hey, I have a question. Yeah. What is it? So when the Yurks are in the bra- a human's brain for three days and they don't get to the Yurk pool to get their nutrients after three days, what happens to them? They die. Okay, because I was thinking like, hey, why don't they just like quarantine all the uh, controllers and like lock them in a room for three days? You can't do that. That's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> Everything in this book is illegal. <laughs> we keep them in a room on just like on the third day, just the night... That How are they going to get away with having anyone just leaving them in it's the room? overnight when they're sleeping. Just like make them sleep. Just take, ha, ha, lock them in the room so they can't get out. For like you can't do that. No, I feel like Jake could easily pull that off with Tom. Yeah. They can turn into elephants and tigers. They can totally do that. They've been like murdering people, dude. Yeah. <laughs> they literally killed some of the human controllers, didn't they? So I can they just lock them in a room for three days? Yeah. And then they're saved. Yeah. And you think the people, once they're saved, are going to go to the police and be like, oh, these guys just turned into animals and then locked me up for three days, and I just don't like being locked up in a room. I know, yeah, it's really only illegal for the Yurk, right? Because the human probably is like, yay. I was wondering, um, what happens if, um, like, do do injuries carry across morphs? Like, if someone has their hand sliced open as a tiger, and then they morph back to a human, and then back to a tiger... Like where where does the injury go away? Does does morphing have healing powers? Well, Rachel kind of brought that up uh, without uh, giving an answer when she was like flying around as a hawk, and she was like, "Man, this is like a lot of work. I wonder if like my uh, human body gets the uh, benefits from this exercise." Yeah, we don't know the answer to that question, so I feel like it'll be the same thing. Maybe we'll find out. I was I was confused about Kondrona because I remember them saying that Kondrona is the name of the sun on like the Yurk planet, but then they were like, "Oh, we need to find Kondrona on Earth and destroy it." And I was confused about that. 
They have like a they have like a Kandrona generator or something like they, like they have like a like an artificial thing that can make Kandronas because that's what they need in order to live. Like when they swim around in the York pool, they have like a Kandrona like in there. And they don't eat. They're plants. They're Yurks are plants. I'm really proud of the Yurks. They're just like weird little algae things, but they've accomplished <laughs> so freaking much. Yeah. <laughs> they get they build machines and and stuff, and they they travel across the stars. All they want is to not be freaking clumps of algae, you know. This book made me mad at the Yurks, and also like humanized them a lot. Yeah, this book was good. I like this book. Another okay, so 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 the fact that the Yurks are plants and they're like photosynthetic or Kendrona synthetic or whatever you want to say makes it even weirder that Visit Three is so into like eating people. Maybe he thinks it's cool because he's like, oh, I've never eaten before. What is this like? Oh, wow. It, it's so pleasurable. Well, it's like how humans yeah. can fly. And then when they're a bird, they're like, oh, heck yeah, I can fly now. You know, like if any it's plant like that, that has a mouth will yeah. love eating stuff, like Venus flytraps, they mm-hmm. eat as much as they can. Yeah. I was wondering uh, if like maybe they have to feed the specific morphs. Because half the time when they morph into an animal, it's really hungry. But so does that mean that um, the kid was hungry before they morphed or that the morph was hungry and they have to like feed the morphs when they turn into them? Uh, well, there is, I mean, there's a lot of instinct involved there. Like a lot of, like, I, I, th- I think the implication is that a lot of the animals they're morphing are just kind of like always hungry because they're just the kind of animals that are always running around looking for food and that's how they survive. I'm not sure if it has anything to do with like their actual hunger levels, but that's a good uh, question. Or maybe it's because humans like have a lot more to think about. Like, have you ever been like doing something really fun and then you realize, oh, I haven't eaten in three hours? Humans are often distracted from their own hunger, but animals often aren't because they don't have that kind of brain power. Maybe, maybe the food, like you know, like you're a human, you eat an apple, like, oh, that'll fill me for a while, but then you turn into a giant elephant, that apple is, like, a little so small, it's like, oh, that's not filling me up. Wait, but what if you, what if you turn into, like, a cockroach? Then, like... Then you'd be like, oh, jeez, oh, the <laughs> apple, it, oh, no! <laughs> Just, like, apple guts come out of your mouth. Just <laughs> <laughs> <It> explode. <laughs> <laughs> there used to be six animorphs. But one of them ate an apple and then morphed into a cockroach. <laughs> well, in the previous book, there's an entire andalite inside of another andalite. So if that's the case, that's like a whole like andaliteception. Oh, what are you talking about? This is who turned into an turned into something big, and then he ate an andalite. Then he turned back into an andalite again. Vizithri swallows Alfangor whole, and then he morphs back into an andalite, and then he immediately bursts open, and then everyone's like, "Well, that's awkward." And yeah, and Alfangor is still alive. <laughs> he's like, he's like, that was my plan. <laughs> <laughs> Idiot! <laughs> and then everyone claps. And then they win. Yeah. <laughs> if if a yurk, uh, I guess the, I guess this is just another unanswered question that we don't know yet. Um, I, I was wondering if a yurk uh, crawls inside one of the animorphs, would that yurk be able to morph? You'll have to see because they're just like humans. That's not they, human DNA. Well, wait, what? what? But but they can morph, and these are three can morph. Yeah, but that's because it's andalite DNA. But the the humans just have like. Powers. No, no, that's the same thing. 
And they only have it because they have the technology, right? Yeah. It's not in their DNA. Oh, I thought not. They evolved to morph, I thought. No, they did not. They evolved to morph. Why would they have like invented a device that's just Wait. sitting around in every ship? Actually I, actually, I do have a question about that. So if the only reason why Visitor 3 can morph is because he has Andalite technology, because he's an Andalite, then why doesn't he just share his Andalite technology with all of the Taxons and Hork-Bajir so they can all be uh, morphed? No, it's like, it's like Elfangor brings out the cube and, uh, you know, the cube in the first book. And they all touch it, and then that gives them the power to morph, like you know, for the rest of their lives. I get it. So the so the person that Visser Three was before he like had already touched the cube. Yeah. But then like Visser Three didn't have a cube of his own. He just was in the body of somebody who had already touched a cube. Yeah, exactly. Okay. The cube modifies your DNA to accept uh, different types of animals. Yeah. Okay. Do the Yorks not know that? This technology exists. Of course, they know it exists because Visor Three is a thing. Well, yeah, but he's he no, he just morphed. I I feel like they assume that only Andalites can morph. They don't know that it's technology based. Because why wouldn't they be trying to steal the technology? And stuff? They know, but they don't think that Elfangor could have given the the humans the power. They don't know that that happened. Why aren't they trying to find the technology and steal that? Yeah, if if they knew about the technology, they probably would have like looted the Andalite ship instead of just zapping it with the zappy beam and destroying oh, it. They Why did he just steal the cube from off Angor? They probably just assume, okay, Andalites can morph. I don't know why, they just can. So they must have assumed that it was just a thing they can do inherently. Well, no, actually, no, that doesn't make any sense because Yurks inherit the memories of their hosts. So a visitor 3 would know. They do? Yeah, that's why they know. That's like the whole thing. It's like how, why they know how to act like the person that they... That they are, are pretending to be. They don't do a good job of that, though. I know. <laughs> so I, I don't know if I believe that. Hey, they're trying their best, dude. They're all stressed, okay? Their host could try and start, start choking them any minute, so they're just, they're just a bit stressed. So if one of them got one of the animals, they would like the animals would be in huge trouble then, because yeah, that's where a lot of the tension comes from in the second this book. I don't know if they, I don't know if they explicitly say it. Uh, no, it didn't. It didn't say that at okay. all. I'm sorry. I guess it's not really a spoiler because it's like a super. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so Fangor's got the cube, right? And it goes out. He gives the Animorphs power. And then he sees Visor 3. So he does some quick thinking. And he just yeets that cube as far away as he can. And then they just don't find it. I thought you were going to say that he ate it. No. <laughs> that would have been good. But he doesn't have a mouth. He just yeets it really far away. And then the Yurks don't find it. Because it's far away. And it's under some rocks. And nobody looked. <laughs> Wait, I have a question. So do do Andalites photosynthesize too? How do they eat? I don't know. You gotta wait until the book teaches you. They oh, stuck okay. applesauce to the slits in their face. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that annoyed me in both of the two books that we've read so far is that there was a lot of lines where it was like, oh man, I felt like saying, oh mom, we're aliens, but I knew I shouldn't, so I didn't say that. <laughs> it that like five times. <laughs> like there's part where she's talking, uh, Rachel's talking to her mom, and she's like, oh, what's wrong? And this is like, oh, I felt like saying, oh, man, I turned into an elephant, but I didn't. And that's a <laughs> book, too. Yeah, that's kind of silly. Because it's, it's a relatable, the relatable. It's like, oh, man, if kids, if you turn into an elephant, wouldn't you want to tell your mom? Because I got tension. I got stakes. Dude, the tension in this book is way more tense than the last book. Like, I really like when she turned into an elephant to scare away the kidnapper. And I was like, oh, man, that was a good scene. What, what what a fun scene. And then suddenly it's super tense 
because then her principal was what was there and she's like oh was he watching the whole time and she's like hey come my i can drive you home since it's raining and she, she hops in his car and it was really tense and yeah i was actually worried for her at that point i'm like rachel you idiot why are you doing that just like run away i didn't think that scene was very fun i was just mad at rachel for being stupid the whole time turning into a half elephant was silly and fun no i was just like oh my gosh there's so many people that could see you do it i just feel like there are way better ways for her to do stuff like that yeah have you guys been taking note of like the the parts of the book that you think may have been changed in the uh like reprints i know the skank part was changed in the reprint oh you do did you say that she felt like clint eastwood as a cat yes all of us read the new version or the old version i mean yeah. She did say that, so that might they might have changed that. I don't know. What they- oh, but Clint Eastwood was old when these books were made. Well, Applegate doesn't know that. She's like a 40-year-old mom. She doesn't know what's popular. One thing yeah. I thought would have been changed is when uh, uh, Rachel like, calls her friend and says, Hey, I got that new CD if you want to listen to it. Yeah, because if they said that nowadays, like Tom would immediately know, like, Oh my god, these guys are turning into animals to try and stop me and my species. Because nobody says to CDs. If anyone tells you to listen to a new CD, it's because they're superheroes. When, you, when I invite you to my house so that we can listen to that new CD and then go home. Yeah, I love that. that fun times. That seems like something Tom would say. <laughs> come to the gathering. Come listen to this new CD. It's this great religion. I like the part when I think I assume it's Marco because he always has a loud mouth. He's he's like mocking someone like, trying to get like, get the cat to come, and he just says, "Meow, fluffer, come out, meow, meow, come and play, meow." That's how I talked when I was a kid, and I used to pretend I was a cat. I just talked like that. Yeah, that's a good Marco. We also learned that taxons are just awful. Yeah, I hate taxons too. Because Visor Three just like kill, just like <laughs> slashes some taxon for <laughs> does taxons like two minutes to lift off Visor, and then Visor's like that's too long, and then he and then he and then he like slices him in the neck, and then while he's still alive, the other taxons like start eating him. No, uh, so taxons are like like volunteer to be controlled, right? But then Hulk Bajirs yeah. are like humans where they are yeah. enslaved, basically. Yes. I think it's interesting that they're allies of the Yerks, but because it's like, what, what, what are, what are the taxons gaining from this partnership? You'll see. Hey, do you guys know who Morris the cat is? No. 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 Okay, because uh, I think Rachel is transforming into a cat, and they're like, "Oh man, you look great, Rachel. You're just, you're just a human with cat fur. You could like go on cat food commercials. Forget Morris the cat." Uh, I have no idea who Morris the cat is. I'm just going to Google it now. I'm guessing that's something that they would uh, change in the new version, I guess. I don't know what cat food icons are popular with the kids nowadays. The Meow Mix cat. Who? Meow Mix. The Meow Mix cat, like, uh, it's just a cat that spells out the word Meow Mix with its body. Oh, that's not a character. It's just a logo. Yeah, yeah, look at that, that cat. thing running around is terrifying. Just do that. I don't know what happened. Why are you laughing like that? Because it was funny just imagining this Meow Mix logo running around. I liked how Rachel like tried to help Melissa while being a cat. Yeah. It's cool. You guys like cats. What do you think about what did you think about the cat part? Yeah, yeah, the cat part was easily my favorite part in the whole book. I already said that, but like Applegate gets cats. 
Like 90% of media nowadays just doesn't get cats at all. They portray them in ways that are totally inaccurate and stupid. And that's why I hated cats for most of my life was because I only saw them through the media and the media is lying to you about cats. Saying that all these cats hate Mondays and love lasagna and it's ridiculous. Yeah. That's not what, how cats are. Cats are like cute and they're like arrogant, but they're also kind of stupid and, and, and you know... They're like eating and they're really nimble and they like jumping around and stuff and they're really cool animals. Their muscles are like pure steel. Rachel's in a cat's brain and I thought that was, uh, I thought that it felt like I don't really know a lot about cats, but it felt very three dimensional. Like there was a lot to that. Moko says dumb things, but like half of my notes are just Moko quotes and me going like, oh, that was a good quote. That was funny. Really? You know, actually, Marco kind of did remind me of you. Uh, a cat's vision at night is about eight times stronger than a human's. And then Marco was like, eight times, not seven or nine? How do they measure that? Yeah, that, that seems like something you would say. Uh, one of my favorite things that I thought was funny in this whole book, I think I, I think this is the part I just laughed out loud at. Um, just the way that Rachel describes the way Marco talks. Uh, Rachel says, its name is Fluffer, Fluffer McKitty. Uh, and then it says, you've got to be kidding. Marco, of course. Just, yeah, of course Marco said that. I thought that was very funny. I loved it. A lot of the humor is like stuff I'm already used to from reading other books, so I just don't think it's that original. That line didn't really surprise me, as it, it seemed like something I would have read in Goosebumps a lot. Uh, I didn't read any like good humorous kids' books as a kid. Just like Hop on Pop and stuff. How much did you like Hop on Pop? Pat that. No, Pat, no, don't sit on that. Dude, the foot's so Pat that on hat. Pat that on bat. Pat that on cat. <laughs> no, Pat, no, don't sit on that. Hey, why don't we just have a hop on pop podcast? Dude. Every episode we talk about one page of hop on pop. <laughs> hey, what if you morphed a yurk and then you crawled into somebody's head? And that person could morph, and then you use their body to morph a yerk, and then you crawled into another person's head. One of the chapters of this book started with the phrase, it was a dark and stormy night. That was like my least favorite thing in the book, actually. No, here, here's the thing, here's the thing. It sounded familiar to me, and then I was like, "That's what is that from? And I googled it, and... There is a Wikipedia page for It Was a Dark and Stormy Night. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. That's a very common thing. Well, yeah, and the Wikipedia page is like, oh yeah, it's a phrase that's usually like parodied as being bad writing. So I, I, I read the first sentence of chapter 16, and then I found the Wikipedia page. And then I went back, and then the second sentence is, sorry, I've always wanted to write that. <laughs> you didn't read the second sentence before you Googled the first one? Correct. Oh my gosh. That's funny. So yeah, I was. I feel like that's Applegate going like, yeah, I know it's a bad sentence to write. That's like the joke. You know what? Lampshading doesn't make a work of fiction good just because you're lampshading. Yeah, but it's a kid doing it, so it's funny. I thought it was good. I didn't. I thought it was lame. Sounds like you're outvoted, though, so that means you well, no, 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 no. I, I kind of agree with Batter. I, I read that, and I thought, okay, that's really dumb. Why did this... This was a good book up to this point, and then this chapter starts with this. No, actually, I didn't chapter. like the book up to that point, but then that chapter was just, like, adding insult to injury, really. You know, you guys are allowed to not like the books, right? No, no, this book was great. I just 
Well, okay, the second half of this book was great. I, I have mixed feelings about this book. If it had like a good beginning and a bad finish, maybe I wouldn't have liked it as much. I thought the beginning was great. The chat part was great. The Chapman part was amazing. The fight was bland. The ending was made up for the fight. All right. Okay. That's fair. I've seen like the whole cliche of um, like love fighting mind control. And every time I see it, it's just annoying. And I'm like, okay, I know how this is going to end. And it just takes way too long. And it's cliche and bland and tries to be dramatic. But in this book, it like it's really, really good when Chapman is fighting this Yurik to save his daughter. And it's my favorite part of the whole book. And it is the only time I've seen uh, love fighting mind control and was not annoyed by it. I like it that he fails. Yeah, he does fail. I like how the Yurk just can take control again, because it's not like a one-time thing, dude. Like, this is an ongoing battle. And the part where he, like, stands up, I love it. The, where he says, you don't have to worry about the daughter or something, but you have to worry about me. Yeah, I have that all written down. Visitor 3, you, we had a deal. I know I never wanted to join you. My wife did, but I said no. But but then my wife, no longer my wife by then, of course. My wife, who is no longer my wife. My wife, who is one of your creatures, threatened, threatened to give you my daughter. I forgive her. She was weak, and you feed on weakness. The point is that I agreed to be made into a host. I agreed to to I agreed to surrender my freedom, to become a controller, to accept this filthy thing in my head, to accept your control. I agreed, but only if you would spare... My daughter, the girl, Melissa, is no threat, but the the girl is no threat, but I am. If you harm my daughter, I will fight you. I will fight you forever. Ask your Yurk if he believes me. He knows me better than anyone. Ask Ines226 if I will fight for my daughter. That's Chapman Free. Yeah, so Mustard, look, the, the, the vice principal wasn't an evil stupid head after all. He was... He's got a character. He he like he isn't just like my principal is an alien. He's just he, he he's more than that. At this point, Chapman and Tom are my two absolute favorite characters in this book. So so when Chapman like the slug gives him back control, he like flops on the ground, like he he was weakened. But Tom was just like sluggers out of his brain, and then he started punching and kicking. So is that just because Chapman's old? Tom was probably not a controller for as long, so he didn't, like, forget how to use his body the way Chapman did. Oh, yeah. Okay. I think that's how they explained the why Chapman was weak. Do you know how tiring it is to have an uncooperative host? No, of course you don't. But trust me, Andalite, I will gladly kill you. That's epic. Yeah, that's where you're like, you're, okay, you kind of feel bad for the Yurk. Like, they, they're just, they don't want to be sluggers their whole life. They want bodies, you know? Yeah, I love that the Yurks are sympathetic. This book made the Yurks more evil and more relatable. Yeah. yeah. There's some, like, emo poetry from Rachel in this book. Oh, where? What? Fear is like a worm inside you. It eats you. It chews your guts. It bores holes in your heart. It makes you feel hollow, empty, alone. Fear. <laughs> Wait, does it really say fear at the end? Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I like that part. Yeah. Do worms bore holes in your heart, though? Yeah, heartworms. Does anyone else have any other notes? I don't really have any. I think I've said everything. Oh, actually, I did have a question about when um, Rachel did the whole thing with the kidnapper. 
Um, isn't that what? What time of day is that? I think it was at night. Because then the next chapter, she just gets home and she goes to bed. So yeah. So I guess that would make more sense as to like why she thought she was safe because it was like dark. I guess I just thought it was stupider than it was because I thought it was like in the daytime. Yeah, I thought that too. I didn't think it was stupid. I just thought it was daytime. Oh, hey, and um, chapter five, page two. What what is buff colored? I, I I googled it. Buff is like an actual color that I've just never heard of. It's brownish. Oh, it's the color of buff leather. Oh, okay. Yeah, that leather is really jacked. Kugabing, do you have anything to say about the book? Do I have something to say about the book? Boy, do I have something to say about the book. Oh, yes. So... Who are your top five characters? Um... <laughs> okay, top five characters. Um, number... Wait, hold on, I'll, I'll give you your options. No, what? no, no, he's gonna put them on his own. I know my options. I've read the books. Don't start with me, Stir. So, basically, top five characters. Number five, Marco. Number four, Marco. Number three, Marco. Number two, um, the mom. Number one, Marco. What about uh, Jackson? Jack. Jackson is a solid number six, right below Marco. But then below Jackson is also Marco, because obviously. So those are my favorite characters. Um, what do I think about the whole plot line? Well, let's just say <laughs> the elephants is in the room and we're talking about it. So like with the whole the whole um guy bad guys we said their names a bunch and you know if i didn't read the books i don't know why i would be blanking about it but because you said it so much but i do remember the names because i did remember i read the book so the bad guys are super bad and when they do those things you're really like whoa guys that's not cool but then they transform into animals and that's when you know this book is good. So they continue turning into animals and they turn back. But then that Tobias guy, he's he's a hawk. But he stays a hawk. But he isn't a hawk. But he is a hawk. That's, that is, you know, that, in my, that was the, it was deep, man. I cried a little bit at that, at that part. Um, <laughs> the ending... The fight scene, let's just say they were fighting. Let's be real. The fight scene, there, there, were, there were animals and there were aliens. Apparently there was rock stuff at some point. I mean, obviously I know. The rock stuff happened in the aliens. And so, like, they're little worm creatures going into your, into your brain and controlling you. That poetry. It's poetry, really. And so with the final fight scene, when they're duking it out, and I thought it was, it was great how, the, how they were going. And then three pages later, that was the end of the fight scene. Like you guys said, like I read, like we all know. And then the ending, like when, when you know, they, Tobias is a hawk. I think that's what we can all take away from this. Tobias is a hawk, and and that can be really t- taken into your own life. Just just when you're 
doing the you when you're going in your car and you're driving along, you just need to think. To if Tobias can be a hawk, then should I be a hawk? And that is really what this book is trying to get at. Can you be a hawk? Not if you're Marco. Well, you kind of can, but you can't at the same time. But Marco is great. Tobias is a hawk. Elephants stop rapists. It's great. Um, again, it's, I cried. This book needs to be displayed in the Smithsonian because truly this is the best. This is the high point of the franchise. Not to say there aren't more high points, but this is one of the high points. And that's Animorphs. That's that's the you know, you do flip the pages, they do the things. <laughs> and that's why I give this rating a bumblebee out of ten. <sighs> Alright, I think that's a good note to end on. Yeah. That sums it up pretty well. Uh, what what fraction of Bumblebee out of ten would you give this? Like j- just a, one whole Bumblebee, or maybe one Bumblebee, and then like Bumblebee with an arm missing. One and a half. I would give a half a Bumblebee, maybe, but it would be the top half. It would be the superior half. Be natural. What one and a half? What's the second half? Like the cool part. The top. Yeah, the top, but also his legs. What? Wait, you can't have the top and the legs. Yeah, you can. That's not half, then. You cut out that weird crotch part. I give it one and a half bumblebees out of ten. Assuming that one and a half bumblebees is, like, really good. Which half? Uh, the left half. Okay. Uh, did, was there anything else you wanted to talk about, or...? Nope. Nope. Man. I'm Be Natural, and this is me signing off. I'm better. Uh, uh, goodbye. <coughs> Kruger being next. Oh, I, I knew that. Um, this is uh, Kruger being. I will. If you want, if you like my sexy voice, and now that I've got a sexy voice now, deep, just give me a call. I am. When I'm not reading Animorphs, I'm free to mingle. Signing off. I'm Mustard. And uh, stay tuned after we sign off because I have a joke to tell. Mr. This podcast is finished. Bye. Bye. Hang on. No, it's not finished though because I have a joke book here. And it only, it only has like 50 jokes in it, so uh, we'll be able to tell all of them. Uh, why did the young witch get extra homework? She was being bad because witches are bad. She was being a little witch. Because her name is Ashley. Because she didn't know how to. She needed. She didn't know how to spell. Something she was having spell. a hard time with her spelling. Yeah. Oh. Goodbye. So, yeah, so you want a haiku for every chapter? Well, after a certain point, yeah. Okay, do read that out, I guess.
Chapter 5. She used a half-morph. Is Melissa one of them? Cat espionage. Chapter 7. Rachel is a shrew. It's not at all attractive. Maggot-eating time. Chapter 11. I'm like Clint Eastwood, so confident and graceful while sneaking around. Chapter 13. Visser wants Chapman to kill the cat, but that would be too suspicious. Chapter 15. Meeting at the church to discuss the latest plan and tell some half-lies. Chapter 17. Oops, he kicked the cat. Seize it and bring it to me. Chapman was afraid. Chapter 18. Visser blames the girl. Love always wins every time. Melissa stayed home. Chapter 19. Going to the vet to have a wonderful time. Jake, I've changed my mind. Chapter 20. Visser 3 appeared. Chapman, the real Chapman, stood and threatened Visser. Chapter 22. It was all over. He morphed into a monster. Tobias saved me. Chapter 23. All of us were tired. Until the Andalites come, we'll keep doing this.